Would you please turn with me to Genesis chapter 21? I get the joy of watching the game time on our Wednesday night kids club. And it's funny to see the kids compete and how some of them are confused and some of them are competitive. There's one child in particular that has gained a nickname from me anyway. She is probably one of the shortest kids that is in the games, but she is so fast. And so when I see her, her name is Aubrey, and when I see her come in on Wednesdays, I say, hey there, Speedo. And she just kind of beams a little bit when they call her Speedo. She likes being called that. Maybe you have been given a nickname. Maybe you've been given a nickname that you like. Maybe you were given a nickname that you did not care for, and hopefully it did not stick for too long. But it's interesting that some people will be known even better by their nickname than by their given name. Isn't that interesting? Likely some in here don't go by their given name, but by a different name. When we look into God's Word, there are oftentimes characters that we study that have been given a name. Abraham is no exception to this. At least a couple of nicknames that Abraham has been given. And I think both of them are beautiful. One of them is friend of God. Abraham was called a friend of God. The other nickname, we're going to be looking at some details today of how he got that Abraham is known, at, known very well in the Bible as a man of faith. How many of you think that you would like to have the nickname man or woman of faith? Raise your hand. All right, put your hands down. How many of you think that you would enjoy going through the process that would lead to you getting that nickname man or woman of faith? You might not enjoy it, but I tell people, don't fear what God wants for your life. When he looked at his disciples and they were in the boat and they were fearing for their life and he got up and he calmed the storm, do you remember what he asked them? He said, why is your faith so small? And so when we think of our God and when we think of how he thinks of us, what does he think of you and your faith? What we're going to see in God's Word today is that the highest level of joy that man can reach, that man can experience, is when we experience more of what only God can do and less of what we bring to the equation. Everybody wants joy, right? Have you ever met anybody who didn't want happiness and joy? Now, maybe you think so. Maybe you've met somebody and you think they're happy to be grumpy all the time. But for the most part, everybody that you will run into, they are wanting to get joy in their life. And the place where the vast majority of people get their joy, get their happiness, is not God. Most people get their joy from something that they have done. Now, there's a lot of things that we can do that are good things that will bring us joy. Maybe raising kids. Maybe that brings you joy after you're done tearing your hair out. Maybe a hobby that you have. Some people enjoy working in the garden. 
There's a Bible principle that we reap what we sow. Some individuals enjoy woodworking, making something, being creative with, with our hands. Some enjoy hunting or fishing. Some individuals will work in their career, their job, and they'll do a good job, and they'll be faithful, and they'll have good character, and they'll work their way up the ladder. There's nothing wrong with a lot of these things, but they fall short. They fall short of how much joy God actually wants for you to have as you walk through this world. All that to take us to Genesis chapter 21. If you don't have a Bible, please use one of the Pew Bibles that's there for you. It's page number 19 in the Pew Bibles. And if you do not own a Bible of your own, please keep that as a gift from us to you. We're going to divide this into two sections today. In the first eight verses, what we're going to see is unspeakable joy comes as God's blessings appear. Unspeakable joy is available for you. And it's there when we accept what God is trying to do in our lives. Now, laughter has already been seen in the story of Abraham. We've seen laughter. Can you remember at least one or two times where we've already seen laughter come into it? Because when Abraham laughed, um, he laughed out of shock when he was told, you're going to have a baby. Sarah laughed, but she laughed out of disbelief. But now Sarah predicts that what's about to happen is going to cause laughter among so many more people. The laughing is not over. In fact, the laughing is just beginning. Look at chapter 21 of Genesis, starting in the first verse. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. We've been patiently walking through the life of Abraham and we find here that God, as he always does, did what he said he would do. Verse number one says it in a couple different ways. Look at verse number one again. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Here is a son that is given, this sweet, precious baby that was given to Abraham and to Sarah. And the love that Isaac would receive, this promised child, and the incredible opportunity they had in their old age to have this new baby. There's a, a bonding that takes place with a baby, maybe a newborn, six-month-old, even up to a couple years when they're still willing to be held. I'm sure several of you have had that opportunity to hold that baby in your arms and to bond. 
when I think of bonding that takes place, I think of my own kids. And with both of them, I had a phrase that I would repeat again and again. I don't know how many hundreds of times I have sang this phrase to them, but they've heard it. Even if possibly they didn't understand what I was saying, they heard it. And there was a connection that was taking place. It was a little line that I borrowed from a book, and I would sing it to them. It went like this. I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. Now they're both big. I can't hold them. They won't let me hold them. And they don't care for me to sing to them anymore either. (laughs) I can't help but wonder with Sarah, as she held this promised child in her arms, if she did not whisper a line again and again. Maybe she would be creative enough to put it to a tune. How many times do you think Sarah would whisper these words when she was holding baby Isaac? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And she'd hold him. And she'd walk him to calm him down. And she'd say again, is anything too hard for the Lord? And this was not just something that she had heard about. It was something that she lived. Isaac, this promised child. God always does what he says. And I love, I'm not sure if there's a sense of humor in here or not, but the way I read it is, I like that Sarah says that she bore Abraham, this son, in his old age. Is what she says. Of course, he's he's 100 years old. Remember how old Sarah is here? She's 90 years old. So she was no spring chicken herself. And she says, people will laugh when they hear that I had a child, that I was able to nurse this baby. Laughter will continue. Not only did God do what he said he would do, but God works in his timing. This promised child, how long did they wait? 25 years. Abraham was 75, and now he's 100, and that's when Isaac comes and so for this couple who's 190, now the, the, the retirement home turns into the maternity ward, and they've got this baby. Some of you, is anybody getting tired just thinking about taking care of a newborn baby at 100 years old? Oh, goodness. God does have a sense of humor in our lives sometimes. God's timing is always perfect. God is never too early. God is never too late. Scripture is filled with God's timing when individuals thought it was off. There's a space between the Old Testament and the New Testament. When Malachi finishes and before Matthew begins, there's an anticipation of a redeemer, of a deliverer. And there were thousands and thousands of Jews who were wanting and praying for that redeemer who were praying for the Messiah to come, and thousands and thousands of them would live their life and would never see Jesus Christ for themselves. And yet the Word of God tells us very, very specifically that in the fullness of time, Jesus came. God's perfect timing. And yet I understand where you've been before. How, how long, how long, Lord? 
How long do I have to put up with this? How long can we wait? Or maybe something happens too soon. Why, Lord? Why now? Why this? Why me? And there is so much comfort that comes in the fact that God is in control of all of this. Not one minute of one day has missed His attention. He knows what's going on on in your life, and His timing is always perfect. But it's so difficult to accept that. And that's part of a process of stretching Abraham's faith. Now, we contrast what God can achieve, this miracle baby, with what man can achieve. Now, can man achieve a lot? Look around. Look at this building. Look at your life. Look at what you've been able to do. Man can do quite a bit. God gives us strength. God gives us a mind. God even gives us instruction for how we can prosper. There's a lot that man can do, but it cannot compare with what God can do. And if you and I want that unspeakable joy, we have to have this process of lifting up more of what God can do in His might and less of what we can do. And this is a painful process sometimes. Next, we see here the unspeakable pain that comes as we switch from our own might to God's might. It's hard. Because maybe you've spent years developing an ability, or you've spent a lot of effort getting to a certain place. And so for you to get rid of that in what you can do in your own might is very, very difficult. To grow in our faith, God's oftentimes going to want to remove the plan B. Whenever I talk to a couple that's getting married and they're having an outside wedding, my mind goes right to the question. When they're having the outdoor wedding, and it's planned several weeks or months out, I always ask them, do you have a plan B? What are you going to do if it rains? And usually they have an answer for that question. Yes, the place where we have the reception, we can go and do everything in there if we need it. What a nightmare that would be to not have a plan B. Sitting in the rain or having people sit in their cars, how horrible would that be? God grows us oftentimes by taking away the safety net. Look at verse 8 of Genesis 21. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on that day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. And so she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. Now, do you remember what Sarah said when the baby was born? She had laughed and Abraham had laughed. And Sarah said, everybody's going to laugh with me when they see Isaac. They're going to laugh with me when they come across this child. But is that true? Is everybody rejoicing in laughter with Sarah and Abraham at this time because Isaac being born? Absolutely not. There are at least two people who are not laughing. And they are not happy with Isaac coming into the world. For about 14 years, Ishmael had been the only son of his father. He had received all the attention. 
He had received the honor that Abraham's son would receive. But everything's changing now. And so Sarah, this lovely, wonderful woman who we will sit and visit with someday, she gives an ultimatum to Abraham. That boy, that teenager who is mocking my son, he will not stay. And Abraham goes from the heights of joy with this celebration to the depths of grief because I have to believe that Abraham loved Ishmael very, very much. How could he not? Don't you imagine that in the mornings he would get up and Ishmael would go and tag along as a young boy and walk down to see the the animals and the flocks and Father Abraham would instruct him tell him what he's learned over the years. Then Abraham would make his way over to the workers. They had hundreds of people working for them. And Abraham would say, well, here's how you take care of this. When you have this problem, here's what you do. Abraham had poured into Ishmael as a father would pour into a child. And Abraham is put into an impossible situation. Sarah says, Cast him out, cast the woman out. They will not stay. They will not share the inheritance. And clearly Sarah's decision is based on, can you, can you guess? Her decision is based on jealousy. She's jealous. And she sees this mocking going on and she will not put up with it. And so Abraham is put in an impossible situation. He's got a son that he loves that was promised that they're celebrating this new baby, Isaac. He has another son that he's raised and that he loves. And a woman who's the mother, who's been faithful. He's put into an impossible situation, and thankfully God steps in. Look at verse 12. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. And so Abraham arose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Now, a word that comes to my mind as I read this is the word fair. Is this really fair? Hagar had no choice in the matter when she was given to Abraham to go and to hopefully give him a son. She was a slave. How about Ishmael? Did Ishmael have a choice in the matter? No. He didn't choose where he would be born. And yet they are cast out at this point. But we must understand there is a big picture thing that is going on here. We're going to turn to a passage in the New Testament in just a moment. The big picture is, is that God is confirming that the world is going to be blessed through Isaac. And let there be no question, it's not Isaac and Ishmael. It is through Isaac that the Savior of the world will come. And so what we learn is, is that Isaac represents what only God could do. And Ishmael represents what man can do apart from God. 
Do you remember the story? Let's help God out here a little bit. Abraham's going to have children. He's going to have many, many, many children. But it's not happening. So we as man will help God out. And that's what each of them represent. One area that man constantly wants to boast about is something that we find in Galatians chapter 4. I want you to hold your place here and turn over to Galatians chapter 4 with me. The Apostle Paul, when he writes to the church, he uses Ishmael and Isaac as an example of what God was doing. A picture. Man constantly wants to help God out in the area of salvation. What had happened at the church at Galatia was that people were accepting Jesus Christ's death on the cross, but they wanted to add something to it. Let's just help God out here a little bit. There's nothing bad with all these good things that we're going to do, but when they start to become equal with the work of Christ on the cross, that's where we run into a problem. And so Galatians chapter 4, look starting at verse 21. Tell me, who, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing the children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren ones, who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at the time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him, who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but children of the free woman." God uses Isaac and Ishmael as a picture of what only God can do. And he points us right to salvation. And man wants to take credit for part of salvation. Man wants to say, God is great, but let me tell you what I did to add to it. And man will always try to go this direction. It happened in the New Testament church, and it's happening today. When we do not have a proper understanding that Jesus Christ's sacrifice is sufficient and we cannot do anything to earn it and we cannot do anything to keep it. And so we have a picture of what only God can do and we have a picture of man trying to help God out. And the Word of God teaches us it is not because of works done by us, but it is because of God's mercy. 
You are saved today if you know Christ only because of the mercy of God. And so here we find Abraham is sending away his son. Does not matter how strong of a man of faith you think Abraham was, this had to be one of, if not the most difficult tasks of obedience he had ever done. It's a little bit easier because God intervened and told him that he must do it. And as best as we know from the record that we have, this is the last time he sees Ishmael. Probably 16 years old. And Hagar is given her freedom. If you study through uh, tradition and when a slave was set free, it was common. They were given a skin of water and some bread and sent off. And this seems very cruel to us. But when we see this going on, we know this must have been so difficult for him. Ishmael does show up later on at Abraham's funeral. We can read about that in God's word. And the pain for you to switch from that which comes from your own hand to that which comes from God's might is very, very difficult. Let's finish the story up. Look in verses 15 through 21. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. And then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about a distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of, what's it say? The boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin of water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Ishmael would go on to be the father of a great nation, the Arab people. And most of these would be enemies to the Jewish people. But just because he came from Abraham, God still is going to bless. God still is going to give him a huge family. And it's interesting that God did not hear Hagar crying out, but he heard the boy crying out. And God wonderfully shows some mercy here. When we look at God, we have so many things that he would like to do for us. And we will not become people of faith. We will not step out and allow ourselves to trust his promises. And that's how we can apply this today to us. Number one, trust God's promises. Some of you need to trust the promise that God has given in the area of fear. There are some individuals whose lives are gripped by fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of the known, fear of doing what's right. And when we look into God's word, it tells us very plainly that God's love, perfect love, casts out all fear. 
there are many Christians who have figured out how to advance and how to make life a little bit better in things that they were doing. And some of them have not trusted God's promise that he will make things right when we do right. There's no doubt in my mind that God is paying attention to everything going on in your life. Uh, I was buying bananas not too long ago. And um, I'm, I'm bothered. I'm bothered by bananas that they don't sell you some green ones, some yellow ones, and then some ready-to-eat ones. That bothers me. If somebody can invent that, you'll be a millionaire probably. I went and bought some bananas, and they were all green there. If I go over to the organic section, I can find a yellow banana. And so I was checking out at the register, and as I was talking to the guy, uh, he came to do some weighing of the bananas. And I said, okay, these are regular bananas here, pretty cheap. I eat like a monkey sometimes, uh, pretty cheap. And But this one here is an organic banana, and he just kind of was taken back a little bit. And he said, oh, well, thanks for being honest about that. And my first response was, is I said, well... I think there's somebody watching, and that's why we should be honest. Some of you, and so I paid a little bit more for that one organic banana. That's the moral of the story. But there's a bigger moral than that. Some people are afraid to do what is right because they are not trusting that God will honor that. The Word of God tells us that God, when we do what is right, he will prepare a table before us in the, what, presence of our enemies. You think God's paying attention? Don't be afraid to do what is right. Do right until the stars fall out of the sky. Always do what is right and trust that God is paying attention and is watching and that God will bless that. Something we see again and again of Abraham is that he obeyed. Isaac was circumcised on the eighth day. Why was that? Because Abraham obeyed in doing that. Hagar and Ishmael are sent away. Why was that? Because Abraham obeyed. Trust God's promises that he will make things right. If God said he will do it, he will always do it. And then finally for us, trust God's timing. I'm not going to say, and all God's people said amen, because I'm afraid the response I would get back. We don't like God's timing sometimes. We think he has messed it up sometimes. Why didn't he show up two years late or earlier? Why did he wait this long? God is never late, and God is never early. And so for you and I, what kind of a nickname are you accumulating with God? Abraham was called friend of God. Abraham was called a man of faith. What's he going to call you? Oh. When I think of how many times I fail. When I think of the years that I've wasted not trusting God and leaning on my own understanding or my own efforts. How much have I missed out on? We trust God's timing because he is perfect. And you are earning a nickname, and maybe nobody will ever hear it. Maybe you don't want anybody to ever hear it. From the life that we live. And so, when I see this sweet little girl, I say, hey there, Speedo. When God sees you, what does he think? But he's patient. 
He's patient. He's got all of your life to refine you. Bring those trials. Allow you to go through the testing and to allow you to be more like the character of Jesus Christ. You and I walk in this world and you and I have the privilege of accepting incredible things, unspeakable joy because of a God who is waiting to freely give it. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, guardian of our souls, we thank you for being strong. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have never lied. We thank you for your generosity. And Lord, we fall short. I fall short. I thank you for your long-suffering on this day. Lord, as we look into the Scriptures, we find characters who would fall short, characters who lacked character and made the wrong choices, and we can learn from their bad example. And then we also find some individuals and some stories like this one of Abraham. And how hard must that have been for him to send Ishmael away and Hagar away. And as he did, he had faith in you. And so, Heavenly Father, as we walk, there are going to be some times where you will lead us to do something that perhaps doesn't make sense to common man. I pray that you would help us to be so close to you that we would not have to go look, have to get our hearts right, have to get in church or get into the Bible to make a good decision. Help us, Heavenly Father, to trust that you will make things right and then just simply to move forward in obedience like Abraham did. And do what is right. And we thank you, Father, that you're with us each step of the way. As the piano plays this morning, I want to give you a chance to pray. Our God is so good to us to offer us salvation, but then to allow us to grow. Each one of us today has some more growing to do. Whatever that next step in your walk with God would be, Maybe you can pray about that, even in the quietness of this time. Maybe you've never taken that first step of accepting forgiveness. The Bible says that Jesus Christ came down to this earth, took on human form, proved that he was God, trained some disciples, performed miracles, but the most important thing that he did was died on a cross for your sins. And you today can have assurance that you will spend eternity with God in heaven if you will accept the gift of Jesus Christ, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, even right now in this moment, you can pray and ask God to forgive you based on what Jesus did on the cross, based on your shortcomings as a sinner. And the Bible says he promises to forgive whosoever asks for it. You can become a son or a daughter of God today. Take just a moment.